0: W Henry I was very much looking forward to having the Bruins visit my Pittsburgh Penguins at Fenway Park the way Bruins fans like to drink all I could think about was how many 13 dollar beers we were going to sell I woke up the morning of the game received a fresh transmission of vampire blood climbed into my helicopter lifted off from my private mountain flew over the shark infested moat and made my way to Boston When I finally got to Fenway, people were yelling at me to pay Rafi. When I made my way from my corner office through the stands to the field, fans were booing me. It was unnerving. I don't know what I can do about this. I have looked into building a secret tunnel to Fenway. Unfortunately, the park is built on reclaimed land and is below the water table. If I build a tunnel, the tunnel would flood. The only solution might be to fly in on a jetpack and land on the roof.
1: Or you can finally do the right thing, Johnny Boy. Raphael Devers, eleven years, three hundred thirty million. That'll get your the fans off your back, at least a little bit, Johnny. You finally did it. Those little arms of yours, you rediscovered the bottom of your pockets, where the money is. Just like I told you in episode one, Johnny boy. It's not that hard. Raffi wants a lot of money. You have a lot of money. You give Raffi a lot of money, and you actually lock up one of your franchise players. Thank God. All right. We're definitely going to talk a lot more about the Raphael Devers extension and what it all means during the show That's why we're here. I had some Hall of Fame stuff planned. We'll push that off till uh, episode 5. Hello everyone. Welcome to the Fenway on Fire podcast. Today's beverage of the day. It's actually one of my home brews for the first time of the show. It's a home brewed, wet hop, I guess pale ale. Kind of came out like a pale ale this year. So I have a bunch of hop plants in the backyard. And every other year I either go through the, the time and effort of Picking little hop cones, that's what actually goes in the beer Drying them in a food dehydrator Vacuum sealing them And then freezing them And then, if I don't do that I just shuck a bunch of them right off the vine Or the bine, I should say And into a beer, and that's what I did this year um, Go with more of kind of the English IPAs With the homegrown hops You never really know what kind of flavor or aroma you're going to get So I want to have a little bit of malt in there So this beer's batch came out pretty good I remember liking the 2020 version better but that is our beverage of the day. How to celebrate the Raffi extension with an adult beverage? E's and O's from episode four. Uh, I mentioned that Corey Kluber signed with the Yankees in 2021. That is incorrect. That that is correct. I mistakenly said he signed in 2020. It was in fact 2021. And then to elaborate on Andrew Benintendi's Andrew Benintendi's awful 2020 season with the Red Sox, his last year here. 14 games, he slashed, 103 batting average, 314 on base, 128 slugging, good for an OPS plus of 25. So for those of you who don't know what OPS plus is, it adjusts for ballpark, it adjusts for the run scoring environment, so the year, 100 being league average, so he was 25% of an average ball player that year um after that for those 14 games they put him on the il and they basically just shut him down at the time i remember thinking it was the phantom mile because he was so awful the team was so awful they just wanted him to go away and if you look at my tweets at the time i kind of wanted them to trade benintendi and then i saw what the return was i'm like oh maybe maybe they should have waited it out so since the trade so those two seasons benintendi was good for 5.6 wins above replacement according to baseball reference When looking backwards, I prefer the baseball reference version of war. When looking forward or projecting, the fangraphs version, which uses fielding independent pitching, tends to be a better predictor. But the baseball reference flavor of war, that measures the actual performance. So looking backwards, I like using B-War. Benintendi, 5.6 wins. So your average Major Leagues regular with regular playing time should be 2-3 to wins. So he was... An above-average regular while he was with the Royals and the Yankees. Of course, he missed some playing time down the stretch this past season. And as far as the return, Franchi Cordero, negative point nine, Josh Winkowski, negative point two in his limited innings. So, trading Andrew Benintendi literally cost the Red Sox, call it six and a half wins. And keep in mind, you know, 2021... They made the playoffs. They won the wild card by one game. And this past year, there were three games under 500. So that trade blew up in their faces big time. And don't talk to me about the players to be named later. I went on a rant about that. Um, I think it was episode three. Uh, And then one other, you know, is we're talking about the show in the last episode. I kept saying we and us. This is a one man show. I do not want to imply that anyone else is responsible for the contents or the opinions distributed or the production on this show. If you're unhappy or don't like any of those, there's one person to blame, and that is me. I will watch the pronouns and use the singular form going forward. Okay, that being that, Raphael Devers, they finally kept one of their homegrown superstars, basically the last homegrown superstar they have. You know, there's a saying, it's never too late to do the right thing. You know, yes, it is in a sense that, you know, this roster is depleted. But at least, they, at least Devers gives them something to build around. You know, this team without Devers, like if they trade him for another batch of prospects or rookies or more crap, th- then you're just looking at rock bottom. I mean, the Red Sox have dug a hole from themselves. I mean, make no mistake. Today's a good day. We have every right as Red Sox fans to be happy. But th- this team has dug themselves with this offseason in particular. A massive, massive hole. Like if they... The whole if they lost Devers or traded him, the hole would have been so big they would have dug through the crust of the earth. They would have they would have hit magma under the earth. So locking up Devers, you're avoiding just the complete oblivion. Um, you know, so I think at this point, you know, barring anything you know catastrophic, you know, we're not going to be a hundred loss bottom feeding. You know, team like the Tigers, the Royals, the Reds, the Pirates. So from that point of view it's, you know, this is definitely a good thing, a good day. I was surprised, um, you know, the way this team has acted, I mean, you know, just lowballing. I mean, they, they low Devers, you know, they went from 168 million before the 2022 season. They literally, they, they doubled it. It took it to three thirty. So the sun clearly rose over Marblehead at four Jersey street. So, you know, you, you'd have to give them a measure of credit for doing that. Um, I am a little surprised that Devers took this deal. I mean, he did get market value. I mean, I wouldn't call this a hometown discount necessarily. I do think he could have got more years on the open market, you know, just given his age. This locks him up through, I think, 36, 37. Um, You know, he probably could have got 12, 13, maybe 14 years if he went to free agency. So he did maybe leave a little bit of money on the table. At the same time, you know, all it takes is one catastrophic injury or bad year or something weird to happen. And, and you know, a lot of times, you know, when someone offers you $330 million, you, you take that bird in the hand. So I call it mildly surprised that he did take the steal um, just from the financial aspect and then the aspect that all of his friends of the team are gone. I mean, the money's the, the the driving factor. You know, Michael Felger, you know, has hammered this point. But we've all, a lot of us have had jobs where you start somewhere, maybe there's some people that worked there before you did, or you started around the same time, you become friends, and then one by one they leave, and then you look around, all your friends are gone, you have these new employees, these new coworkers that aren't nearly as good, maybe don't have as much of a clue, and you just look, thinking, like, what the hell am I doing here? Everyone else who left, all my friends, they must know something I don't. Why am I here? So I think a lot of us have been in that situation professionally. Um, but then again, you know, those of us in the real world, we don't get offered $330 million like Raphael Devers was. But more than that, I mean, the the, the short term outlook for this team still isn't great. You know, I, they must have given him some type of insurances and he believed it. You know, maybe the fact that. They were willing to make that financial commitment to him, made Rafi think that, you know, maybe the Red Sox are back in business finally. Um, the no trade clause or the lack of a no trade clause is a little bit interesting. You know, typically these types of deals, there's some type of no trade protection. You know, the player, you know, they want control if anything does change and uh, the club does want to move them. So the Red Sox, they have a lot of control where if they want to get out of this. You know, they don't have to deal with any complications of you know placating Raphael Devers. They just have to find another club that wants to take on the money. I mean, that in and of itself for these types of deals is difficult. There's a reason why, you know, these players at, you know, the the one tenth of the one percent, the top, you know, handful in terms of you know salary, those guys sell move. That's why the Alex Rodriguez trade was as complicated as it was. Um, so I, I'm sure this is something that the Red Sox insisted on. Um, but also on the plus side, there's no opt out in this deal. So we don't have to worry about, you know, the market going crazy. Maybe Devers has a couple like MVP caliber seasons. And I do think, I think he, he's got a little bit of uh projection left where I could see him maybe taking that leap and having like a seven, eight, nine win season. So I, you know, maybe that was the trade-off maybe. Okay. All right. You know, we're not giving you the no trade clause, but, or, Somehow in the negotiation, I'm sure if both of those items were discussed, um, you know, maybe the Red Sox paid a little bit more or just cause the money, they were able to get him to n- not take the opt out where with, uh, the Bogarts extension, the money was a little bit lower. They did give him, you know, Xander did take that hometown discount. So the Red Sox didn't really have the leverage to refuse the opt out. That's kind of what I was trying to get at there. Um, One date to look at is 7-25-2027. That is the 10-year anniversary of Rafael Devers' Major League debut. Now, the way the service time is calculated, he'll probably reach 10 years of Major League service time before that at some point during the 2027 season. So at that point, Devers will become a 10-5 guy. And at that point, he essentially has a no-trade clause. So the Red Sox if at any point between now and whenever Devers hits that 10-year mark, they can get out of this if they want to. Or at least they can get out of it without getting the consent of the player. Um, one thing that's kind of annoyed me is, you know, a lot of the i Bluminati crawling out of the woodwork. would work. Oh, what are you going to say about Haim now? Oh, Haim's not a bottom feeder anymore. Look at him! Do, do, you, do you guys honestly think this was a Haim move? Or do you think the guy... Who was taunted, booed, and harassed at the ballpark he owns, do you think this was his move? I'd say Haim has very little to do with this, if I had to guess. You know, even Sam Kennedy, you know, in the aftermath of the Bogarts fallout, talked about how ownership is involved in these decisions. And this, this had to come from ownership. If nothing else, ownership had to sign off on the amount. But I, I think... I think this is mostly ownership finally realizing, you know what, we can't push this fan base anymore. People are pissed, like pissed. You know, I literally, you know, literally all my Red Sox stuff, it's still in the box. You know, we're not opening the box till Bloom, Henry and Werner are all gone. You know, maybe if something happens and they, they could, they continue to spend money and they put together a, a product that actually can compete. Maybe I'll revisit, you know, if they do that, like let's say they go nuts next off season and they sign Shohei Otani, who fills two needs on this team. This team needs another batter to go with Raffy, and they need an ace. If they do that, I will happily eat crow. Yep, the Ibluminati, you, you know the the John Henry bootlickers. You're right. I was wrong. You were right. They were going to spend money all along. This was all part of the plan. All right. I, I, I'll happily. I will happily eat crow. Because that would mean that the Red Sox are where they should be. But I don't see that happening, you know, looking forward. And looking forward to kind of what this means, this roster still isn't very good. Um, I mean, it wasn't very good when they did that one-year deal by, you know, basically settling and avoiding arbitration. And it's still not very good now that they've locked up Devers. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, you know, that's why for me, you know, People should be happy, but it just goes to show how low expectations are around here. I mean, the the minimum should have been keeping Bogarts, Devers, and then adding a legit front-of-the-line pitcher that this team needed. So they, they've still done less than the minimum, but we haven't hit, like, the rock bottom. Or, you know, I, I I'm at a loss for kind of a metaphor. I mean, you know... You know, we had low expectations for them. There, whatever the lowest, whatever you thought, whatever you thought the worst case scenario is, we're not the worst case scenario, but we're still not in a good place. I, I think that's kind of a good way to put it. Um, but for today, you know, I, you know, you you can be happy, but Jesus fucking Christ, just, just some of these people are just going overboard. But I did want to talk about the reception that Henry did get in the Winter Classic. I mean. Those fans who booed him walking through the stands are heroes. That Pay Raffy guy, that guy's a legend. He deserves a statue. I mean, that was incredible. Uh, and then the guy next to him, hey, pay anyone. The pay anyone, I mean, that kind of took it over, over the top. You know, yeah, it really did. It just kind of gave, that gave it a little extra, a little, little bit of spice. And pay anyone, you know, I was going to say that that'd be a good fantasy team name, but, you know, now that they've gone through with extending Rafi like they should. um, You know, if you're really angry, I guess you can still use pay anyone as a fantasy team name for the upcoming season. And also, I imagine, like, all the former Red Sox, you know, the guys that this team's gotten rid of, um, either let leave as free agents or traded for nothing. You know, the guys who were all, you know, you know, hanging out at the All-Star game, posing for the photos, kind of the little mini 2018 reunion. I just imagine them all just on, like, a group text, just kind of sharing the video, just kind of laughing amongst themselves. And, you know, I thought the people in the crowd in the video, they were, all in all, they were pretty restrained, especially for a Bruins crowd. Like, there were, there were no, like, F-bombs or, you know, we want Xander or sell the team. You know, maybe because it was, you know, you know, the Winter Classic was like a one o'clock face-off and people out outside the park pretty early. So maybe that's why it was a little bit restrained, so... You know, these fans, they got their message across, but dare I say, in somewhat of a of a classy, respectful way. Um, and not letting the guy in with the Pay Raffi sign, that's lame World Wrestling Entertainment WWE crap. Like, what WWE will do from time to time is, you know, John Cena's, you know, supposed to be the good guy. You know, all the little kids, especially little boys, would love John Cena, and the adult fans hated John Cena, so they might bring an anti-John Cena sign, and the WWE security wouldn't let him through the door. So this is a crap type of crap that they would do. It's embarrassing that the Red Sox did it, and of course, you know, they're going to blame, you know, some, you know, part-time, you know, security guy, you know, some guy, you know, who, who's working Gaty at Fenway trying to make extra money, probably has another job. He's out there on a holiday freezing his balls off, and we're going to blame him. So... Bad luck. At least the team admitted they were wrong. Not that I want to really give them credit for it, but that was lame. You know, hopefully, you know, in some of these earlier episodes, they talked about how we need to make the atmosphere toxic. Maybe if they do some other moves, I don't know what those moves would look like, but maybe, you know, it just doesn't have to be completely hostile over there. If they actually start showing some initiative to improve this product. Um, And then, you know, you won't have fans, you know, walking in with bags in their heads and sell the team signs and T-shirts and things like that. Um, But if that does happen, let the people in. As long as you're not harassing other individuals using, you know, slurs, you know, racial, whatever. As long as you're not doing that at the ballpark, you know, you should be able to say or do basically anything you want. Especially if you're paying, you know, God knows what to to get into that place. And, you know, your $13 beers, your $8 Fenway Franks with the shitty ketchup and uh, and all the rest. So, bad look for the team on that front. But again, to the fans at the Winter Classic. Great job. So what does this deal actually change about the Red Sox or with the Red Sox? Uh, As far as 2023 is concerned, not much. They still haven't replaced Bogarts. Um, They still lack power hitting in this lineup. Catcher is a big question mark. I don't think we've talked too much about. Well, we did a little bit when um, I went on my little tirade about the carjacker. Um, You have an old and injury prone rotation and your top three starters from last year were all gone. The bullpen is better if we want to be fair. But overall, this roster has regressed. Okay, You've locked in your most important piece, so you have him for 2023 and beyond, but you already controlled him for 2023, him being, of course, Raphael Devers. So there's still a lot of work to do if this team is still going to try to tell us that we're trying to compete or they're trying to compete. A lot of work to do. And as we've talked about over and over again, the free agent market is completely picked over. Anybody left, it's going to be, you know, bottom of the barrel, not bottom of the barrel. I mean, these are major league players, but guys like Wade Miley today signed for one year, 4.5 million with the Brewers that these are the caliber of players that are still out there. So there's no savior coming from free agency. And this is where missing out on the litany of free agents. They missed out on really hurts. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, Zach Eflin. Well, who's Zach Eflin? Who's Mitch Haneker? Who's Andrew Heaney? Who's this guy? Who's that guy? Well, I mean, you could literally field a team with all the guys the Red Sox were in on and failed to sign. And you could only miss out on so many free agents before you run out of free agents. And that's why this, this roster is just not in a good spot right now, still, at all. And this trade market, it's very, very slow developing. Even... Garbage franchises like the Marlins are trying to get major league players. I mean, there was that report out that, you know, they wanted to trade for, you know, some of their pitching for Tristan Cassis, and that makes no sense. That's not going to happen. You know, the High and the Red Sox are counting on Cassis right now to be a middle of the lineup guy as a rookie. I mean, less than a month in the big leagues. You know, you trade Cassis for pitching, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. That doesn't accomplish anything. So I don't see where there's the big trade out there where someone's going to give you major league talent and not want major league talent in return. I don't see that prospect for major league player trade out there. That's going to help this team significantly. And even if they did would the Red Sox, give up the prospect capital it would take to make that move. So this team is still not going to be very good at best. At best, this is a bridge year where maybe they flirt with 500 Maybe they actually buy the deadline instead of half-assed, middling, bullshit like last year. But really, this year is about one thing and one thing only. That's resetting the luxury tax again. Because they went over last year, and the penalties in terms of draft picks and in terms of financial penalties get more steep the more and more years that you go over. So since they went over the luxury tax on last year's crap bag team, they do want to get under and reset it at some point. Now that the free agent market is picked over You might as well just do it now So I think this is what we're looking at We're they're, they're not gonna You know We're not gonna see any more big moves To help next year's team We're gonna roll the dice with Chris Sale With James Paxton You know Trevor Story to an extent um, You know Rookies You know We're gonna hope Bayo can make 30 starts We're gonna hope Casas can hit 30 home runs And not get hurt And you know, still give you good at bats. That's what we're looking at for next year. Um, for the medium term, though, this does give you a little bit of hope. You know, my concern was, you know, let's say they trade Devers for prospects again, like they did with Mookie. You know, wh- wh- where's the core that you're building around? I mean, I think Casas and Bayo could be part of a core, but these these aren't, you know, necessarily quote unquote can't miss guys. I mean, Bayo's not like a, you know, Steven Strasburg or, you know, pick your can't-miss-pitching prospect who went to the big leagues and dominated immediately. Or same thing, um, yeah, same thing with Casas. I mean, he's he's put up pretty good numbers, you know, in the minor leagues. And he's done that, you know, being young for his levels. He's given you good at-bats. They like the makeup. But, I mean... This isn't, you know, I mean, look at what uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. did in the minor leagues. That guy was a no doubter. And even it took him, you know, a couple years at the major league level to really get established. So these are good prospects. These aren't the slam dunk generational can't miss guys. So at least Devers gives you something to build around. I mean, usually you want a core of like a handful of guys. I mean, look at 2018 and right now you got one guy who you can count on. I think the template we're looking at here is what the Atlanta Braves did in their most recent, uh, rebuild. So I actually pulled this up. So the Braves in like 29, 2010, 2011 were a pretty good team, had a couple playoff trips, really didn't make too much of a run. You know, there was that one, uh, famous NLDS game that they lost, uh, with Craig Kimbrell warming up in the pen, hands on his hips at Dodger stadium, While Freddie Gonzalez let some crap bag, uh, you know, setup guy blow the game in the 8th. So that was 2012. 2013, the Braves had a disappointing season. I'm sorry, 2014, the Braves had a disappointing season. Went 79-83. and And that's when they decided to blow it up. So if we go from like 09, Bobby Cox's last year, or second last year, they won 86 games. 91, 91 wins in 2010, Bobby Cox's last year. Then 89, 94, 96 in 2013. They actually won the division in 2013. The Nats were kind of down that year. And then 2014, you know, a lot of a lot of injuries, a lot of things went wrong. 79 and 83. And the Braves and Liberty Media decided, All right, we're going to blow it up. They fired the GM, Frank Wren. They uh, promoted John Coppolella to be like the assistant GM or the general manager. Brought in John Hart. And they traded everybody. They traded everybody on that team. So we're talking guys like Jason Hayward, um, BJ Upton. Well, B.J. Upton was more of a salary dump. Uh, They traded Kimbrough, Justin Upton, who's still a good productive player. They traded all those guys, but the one guy they kept and extended was Freddie Freeman. And Freddie Freeman played on a lot of mediocre teams for the next few years. So 2015, after the rebuild starts, 67 wins. 68 wins in 2016, 72 wins in 2017, and then 2018, they won 90 games and won the division. In 2018, they were probably a year early. People weren't expecting them for another year or two to kind of come out of the woodwork. So that was, call it a four-year rebuild. They arrived a little early because in 2018, that NL East was down. So that is kind of the type of rebuild I think we're looking at. But for that to work, you know... Marcelo Mayer needs to be your Dansby Swanson. Um, Saddam Raffaella, maybe he's your Ozzy Albus. Can Miguel Blyce be Ronald Acuna Jr.? You know, Brian Bayo, can he be Max Fried? The problem is when the Braves did make a lot of those trades and blew up their team, they got good value back. I mean, they packaged Jason Hayward for um, the pitcher who's on the 2013 Cardinals. Um, Shit, blanking on the name. Um, I'll, I'll address it next week on the E's and O's. But uh, it was Shelby Miller. So they got Shelby Miller in the Hayward trade. Miller had one good season. And then the Braves flipped him to uh, the Diamondbacks and the Swanson deal. So those are the type of things that uh, the Braves were able to do, kind of expedite that rebuild. And we don't need to talk about some of the awful trades that the Red Sox have made, you know, breaking up their... 2018 World Championship. So that's what they're going to try to do, I think. Um, I don't know how successful they're going to be. I mean, if they don't get Nakuna and Olibies, you know, I guess, you know, um, Devers would be your Austin Riley or someone. But if they don't get that core of homegrown talent, their choices are just suck continually. Or they're gonna to have to spend more money on free agents. And, and that's when kind of the rubber is gonna meet the road, I think. I like some of the young guys in the system. It's a top heavy system. I think mayors I mean, they drafted the kid number four at all. You know, you know, he's not a rod who's good, you know, was it the big leagues at nineteen and won a batting title at twenty. He's a notch or two below that. But you know, he's met expectations at every level. So he's on a good track. I I liked what I saw out of Casas in that one month. He just needs to get a little bit more aggressive. I mean, out of all the adjustments a player needs to make at the major league level, that's, you know, probably the most easy. You know, if he was Bobby Dahlbeck and couldn't hit a high fastball, I mean, that's a little bit harder to adjust than just swinging the bat more. And I think he'll do that and they'll give him the instruction he needs. You know, I don't think he's gonna necessarily be like a rookie of the year contender or an all-star as a rookie i think he'll need a little bit of time um but he has the tools he'll get there um it's just a question of some of these other guys um you know whether this team is you know gonna be able to turn this around in a couple years or if it's gonna take longer because look at what's happened with the Texas Rangers. Yes, they've spent obscene amounts of money the past two off-seasons, you know, bringing in DeGrom and Seager, and Nita Valde, who we'll talk about in a minute. And the reason why they did that was they had a failed rebuild. They had all these young guys, you know, guys like Nomar, Maraza, Ruknet Odor, you know, guys that were touted, got to the big leagues, and just didn't pan out. Martin Perez. Martin Perez didn't pan out. They let him go. Then they actually brought him back as a cheap free agent and he made an all-star team last year. But that's what can happen when you're a big market team and you count on the young guys and they fail. At some point, you have to just spend the money to kind of pay out, buy your way out of your developmental failures. People forget. Go back to the 2004 team. You know how many homegrown guys were on the 2004 Boston Red Sox? Think about it for a sec. Go through that lineup. Catcher Jason Veritek. That was a trade. First baseman Kevin Millar. That was technically, I think, a trade or a purchase. The Marlins tried to send him to Japan because they wanted to collect a half a million dollar, you know, posting fee. Mark Bellhorn. Basically, you he was non-tendered by the Cubs. Orlando Cabrera. That was a deadline deal. Bill Miller was a free agent. Center field Johnny Damon was a free agent. Left field Manny Ramirez was a free agent. David Ortiz, non-tendered by the Twins. He was a free agent. Your only homegrown guy on that team was Trott Nixon. So if you do make some sure trades and you do spend money, you know you can build a winner that way. It's harder because your front offices generally are smarter. I don't think you see guys like David Ortiz get non-tendered anymore. Or even a guy like Bill Miller teams would look at his on-base percentage and bat-to-ball skills and would give him a contract the Red Sox are able to sign him on the cheap so that might be what they have to do if these kids don't work out but that's what they're banking on don't be fooled that's what they're banking on but beyond that what this does beyond just the on-field product you know this will hopefully shed the poverty franchise label I mean this is what the sixth biggest contract in baseball or you know a poverty franchise doesn't give a guy $330 million. Unless you're the Marlins and you backload it and yeah, it's a fake contract and you trade them before the real money kicks in. But generally, you know, the, and that's important for this team to shed that poverty franchise label. I mean, the team was a joke. That's kind of been one of my catchphrases on the show. They, they, they're a joke. The whole industry has been laughing at this team. I mean, not just, you know, shit posters or podcasters or... People like me, you know, you know, nutcase fans. I mean, respected people: Kenny Rosenthal, Peter Gammons, Buster Olney. The, I think I saw tweets from the editor in chief of Baseball Prospectus, FanGraphs has had multiple articles mo- mocking this team. Even the Washington Post. I don't even know. Even though they cover you know sports really, other than the DC teams. I saw that article recently, the Washington post wondering what the hell this team is doing. This team had a credibility problem. And the credibility problem is they had done it at this point. So that's another part of the reason why they had to do this. So this at least start to rebuild the credibility. I mean, they're still in a massive hole, both in terms of talent and credibility, but this is a step in the right direction. That's why they had to do it. Um, Probably the best metaphor I saw for kind of where this team stands in in the landscape was uh, Karabas on his podcast compared the Red Sox to Nickelback. Just people just were literally loving to hate this team. And that's how far they had fallen. And hopefully this is just a step. This is what this it's a big step, but it's just a step. You know, we're not just the butt of the industry anymore, butt of the jokes. We're not the new, you know, lol, Mets, Lowell Red Sox, you know. John Henry, apparently, he's not Fred Wilpon after all. So hopefully we can at least, you know, be a respectable organization again. A couple other items not related to Raphael Devers I wanted to hit on. Um, one was the signing of Gene Segura. Uh, so on my Facebook Live, like I... I thought that, you know, he'd be someone the Red Sox would go after. Um, I think I even mentioned it maybe on the show a little bit earlier. So, I mean, the the, the analogy here would be, you know, back in the day when the Red Sox let Mo Vaughn go, that was another contentious uh, contract uh, negotiation. Um, they famously signed Jose Offerman and Dan Duquette said, well, he'll replace Mo Vaughn's on base percentage. I mean, Gene Segura at least would get on base. I mean, in that aspect, you know, he'd probably fill a similar role in the lineup as uh, Yoshida is going to. Um, But he was the best middle infield guy out there. I mean, he's a second baseman at this point. So if they did sign him, he would have probably played second with Story playing short, which isn't ideal. Um, You know... I don't know if they were really in on this player or not. Um, I can't imagine they they were outbid by the Marlins, but, you know, pfft, stranger things have happened. Um, I think at this point, whoever they get for, you know, kind of that middle infield spot, it's just going to be even cheaper. So, I mean, I think Segur got like a two-year, like $18 million deal. We're looking at a $3, 4000000 million guy who's going to hit eighth or ninth in the lineup. Problem there is... you're you're already faking catcher. So you're faking two spots in the lineup. So not ideal. You know, I think I've seen even people suggest, you know, why don't they just throw Meyer in there or throw a Sedan Raffaella, who's both projected as a plus center, double plus center fielder. So elite of the elite in center field, but his actual natural position is an infielder at shortstop. So he profiles as an excellent defensive shortstop, but elite center field. You know, maybe just call up one of those guys and throw him in there. And that's something I could picture Dave Dombrowski doing, like an aggressive GM. You know, the way Dave Dombrowski would look at it is goes, all right, opening day, who's our best 26 guys in the organization, and we're going to throw him out there. And if the kid struggles, the kid struggles, but he's the best guy for the job, we're going to put him out there. I can't see High and Bloom doing it in a million years. He's going to want these Players to master each level and slowly bring them up. As is his cautious approach to well everything. Um, I don't hate it. Um, you, know, Rafaela is closer. He's probably going to start the year at AAA. You know, maybe if he has like some type of just insane camp, maybe they try it. I I don't see it. Um, but then again, you stranger things have happened. And Mayer, same thing. He's probably, He might start, I think, either in high A or double A this year. So we'll um, to see what they do with Up the Middle. And I did want to talk about the, the Nate Evaldi negotiations. I talked a lot about Evaldi in last week's episode. Uh, one thing I listened to that um, was interesting was Ian Brown on the ITM podcast, formerly the Inside the Monster podcast. But uh, now Steve and his co-host are um, – with another, uh, I think they're under the SI umbrella. and said the Odyssey umbrella, so they had to do a little bit of a rebrand with the name of the show. So they were talking about um, the Valdi deal, and some of the reports that were out there. I mean, there were reports that uh, the Red Sox had a three-year offer out there at one point, and what Brown said was the Red Sox made this three-year offer probably earlier in the offseason. Valdi and his agents wanted to see what else was out there. They go, they look around while this is going on. The Red Sox make other moves, you know, at the winter meeting. So the Jansen move, the Chris Martin move, eventually um, the Justin Turner move. And then by the time of and his people go back to the Red Sox asking about that three year deal, it was off the table. And I asked Sean McAdam about this on uh, the Boston Sports Journal uh, member chat this week. And he basically confirmed that those were that was the same story he heard, and the way he said it was, you know, these it's routine, and I know these things happen all the time in in negotiations, especially you know, Major League Baseball. Things change. You make an offer, you do some other stuff, and then all of a sudden you're not you don't you know you no longer want to honor that original offer, and it's annoying to me because up until this Devers deal, what had the Red Sox done that should have made them pull that offer? Hey, Nate. Love you, mean it. You're great. You're a horse for us in 2021. I mean, we'll, no one will ever forget 2018, what you did coming out of the pen in, in Game 3. But we signed Chris Martin, so we're sorry. We can't do that three-year offer anymore. Like, if that's what the Red Sox did, or, or the fact that we finally have a closer after five years, you had to pull the Ivaldi offer. I mean, if that's what happened, that's annoying. You know... I get him higher on Ivaldi than a lot of people. I, I think there's a better chance we we get something closer to the 2021 Nate Ivaldi than most people. You know, a lot of people just think he's this broken down bum. But what the hell are we doing, honestly? You, you sign Clo. I'd rather have Ivaldi for 17 over two years than than Kluber for one. But I think what it is, I think it's just CBT related. You know, they want to get under the luxury tax. They, they spent that money in the bullpen, even though these are small deals. You know, two years for Martin, two years for, uh, for Jansen. You know, the AAV is not, ins- the annual annual average value is not insignificant on those guys. So you bring Evaldi back, it makes it harder to stand under the luxury tax. So that's probably why. It's still annoying. I still want Nate Evaldi on this team. Let's just hope Kluber's shoulder holds up. Thinking again about why the Red Sox had to do this deal. Um, I keep thinking about something that Tony Maz had said over and over again on the radio, um, talking about Devers. They don't have a choice. They have to give him a boatload of money. They don't have a choice. Realistically, the Red Sox' only choice was to do this deal or just complete and utter irrelevance. Irrelevance locally in Boston, you know, compared to the other teams in town. Irrelevance. Nationally, as a national brand, as an iconic franchise, relevance within just the industry. You know, again, the poverty franchise label. You know, you you let this guy go, you might as well just, you know, tattoo poverty franchise on John Henry's forehead. So they had to do this. They didn't have a choice. John Tomasi, you know, Share some concerns he has about the player at NBC Sports Boston. You know, Devers wouldn't necessarily have been his first choice to give three hundred plus million to. You know, he's concerned about the defense, the body. I don't share those concerns really. You know, as long as Devers, you know, keeps up with his conditioning and his nutrition, I think he'll be fine. I mean, he's never gonna be, you know, chiseled out of granite. He's got a naturally, you know, doughy physique. But you know, we're we're not selling jeans here, as uh, Billy Bean used to say. And the defense, you know, I think his defense is, he has the tools to be above average over there. You know, he just gets sloppy with his fundamentals at times, just like his swing gets long. He goes through these kind of like weird slumps where at the plate, the swing gets long at the field, you know, the footwork goes, the arm angle goes, he goes through those kind of weird fielding slumps. I'm not worried about the player. But to Tomasi's point, you know, would you rather have Devers on his contract or Mookie on the contract he signed with the Dodgers. You know, take the luxury tax and, you know, the the circumstances at the time, you know, out of it, just in a vacuum. Which one would you choose? You know, to be fair, I probably would rather have Mookie on his deal. Well, to be fair, I would rather have Mookie on his deal. But then again, you know, Mookie's been gone for, you know, almost three years. Devers has been, I'm sorry, not Devers, Bogarts has been gone for a month, so... He was the last superstar left. They had to do this. And I think, you know, one of these years, Devers is going to have a year where he's, the approach and the swing and the mechanics where everything is just consistent at the plate. Kind of what we saw maybe April, May, June of last year. He'll put that together for a full season and this guy will put up MVP numbers. He has at least one MVP campaign in him where he'll be that, you know, six, seven, eight, nine win guy. So... I look forward to that and I'm excited that that will be in a Red Sox uniform if, and when it does happen. So, uh, I think next episode, we'll definitely talk about some hall of fame stuff, you know, at the end of these shows, I keep predicting that, you know, business will slow down. And so far it hasn't, you know, people who love to bitch and moan about the baseball off season being too slow or too boring. Well, this hasn't been it at all. This has been exciting. This is what the sport needs. And, I think the next few off seasons are going to be more like this. You know, these clubs are awash in money, and you have some big names hitting the market. I talked about Otani earlier. Juan Soto's going to be hitting the market. A lot of big names are going to be out there, and we're going to see a lot of big money getting thrown around, and that's good for everyone. Again, thanks everyone for listening to the Fenway on Fire podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. That's critical. So if you're listening to this, please subscribe on the podcatcher of your choice. Right now we are on Spotify, we are on Google, we are on Stitcher, and we will eventually be on Apple. So we'll be on all the major platforms at that point. Please review, rate, like, you know, give whatever positive feedback you can that pushes up uh, the algorithm, critical to the long-term growth of the show, and also share. Share the links on social media, tell a friend, text them, call them, strangers on the street, let them know Fenway on fire podcast is the podcast that every Sane Red Sox plan who resides on planet earth should be listening to. Um, that should do it. Also the voice link will be in the show description. So please ping me a message. I'll play it on the show. It can be your thoughts, your opinions. You can call me an asshole. We'll play it on the show. So we look forward to getting those in. Thank you everyone. And we will see you soon.